so that was uh, Inside Lewin Davis, the uh, 2014 Coen Brothers movie uh, starring Oscar Isaac and a, and a slew of recognisable stars that uh, appear, have, have their short scenes and then dip out for the movie, letting the titular character bounce off, off each of them, I guess, in turn. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to go, to go around, I guess, well... Connie, you haven't seen this before, and neither has Dan, but he probably won't give us his views. But I'm really interested to, see, to hear your first impressions on, on this movie, since you haven't, you haven't seen it before. Yeah, first impressions, I'll dive in. Um, I, thought it was an, I thought it was an excellent film. It's, I suppose it's, it's a story about the sort of noble deadbeat and the, the US um, sort of beatnik time. And it's about one of... Which potentially one of my favourite eras um, for fiction, which is that sort of 1940s to 1960s area where you have the the machinations of a um, of a capitalist industrial society that um, that can create a strong floor for um, for individuals. And that's a great platform to sort of identify these people who, um, who are really unique and who don't necessarily fit into the system. And there's a lot of beauty in that. The, the, um, and this is a, is, a, is a story in a tale of, of many similar stories um, that I know people around this table are familiar with. Things like On the Road by Jack Kerouac um, and that sort of similar generation it's um, it just sort of oozes, it oozes Hemingway, it oozes um, Kerouac, and uh, I thought it was uh, was was a really beautiful film. Yes, I think that's the third time I've seen that, and yeah, I loved it on that watch just as much as I loved it the first time I saw it. I think it's probably um, definitely the Coen Brothers' best film of the last decade. I also think it's probably one of their best films in general, whilst noting that I haven't seen their whole catalogue. Um, to me, it's probably the best film that, that I've seen of theirs. Um, you know, as Connor said, it's definitely a period piece, and I agree with Connor that I think it, it does capture um, a really beautiful time um, in US history and in the music industry. It's right on the cusp of the 60s, which I think you know, is widely renowned as producing the best music that we've ever had. Um, you can see the influence of the folk music in the music that was to come, whether it be the Beatles, Rolling Stones, any any band really from that next decade. Um, and I think, you know, I love the music in that film. I love, um, obviously, the Coen brothers' take on music in 1960 is very similar to a lot of people's take on music today. It's the uh, uh, Please Mr Kennedy that's selling <laughs> on the radio whilst, you know, the real artistic stuff, um, there's just no money in it. I think um, Oscar Isaac's performance in it is fucking sensational. Um, I was shocked to look then that he didn't get nominated for Best Actor. I just think he's so good in, in that film, does that character so well. But I also think that his set of skills is really built um, for that role. And, yeah, I don't, I don't really have much negative to say about the film. I think we'll more just be unpacking the plot and... Uh, different highlights of the film because to me that's in terms of a modern film is pretty close to a perfect film as you're going to get 
Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And um, it's, I feel like the, wild, the movie's wildly underrated. Um, I, like When it was released, it didn't do too well in the box office. And like you said, like there wasn't too much recognition um, at the awards season. Yeah, so it was uh, like best screenplay and best sound mixing or something. Yeah. Which, which I mean, the sound mixing makes that sense. That makes sense, but... And the script is so all, much more. It's obviously awesome, but... Yeah, the performances the act, Yeah, so the performances, and I don't even know how they didn't get nominated as best director. The cinematography is insane. The, yeah. Well, obviously, the Coleman Brothers, like, every time they, they put a movie out, it's just like, you know, top-tier stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, th- I think, like, the, the I, I may have picked up after Manchester by the Sea, but, like, those melancholic films that really dive on, like, the human element and the, and the things that really, like, hit at your soul, those are the ones that, that, that I love and the, that stick with me well after I've watched them. So this one, after the first time I watched it, was obviously, like, yeah, in my top three, just, like, absolutely loved movies. Just, um... I think it's one of the ones that made me realise I like I much prefer tragedy over comedy in the classic sense of, of storytelling. It's just it's 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 just so much much a much more, always a much more compelling story. And while saying that, how funny is that film? Yeah, I can't very, remember laughing that much the first two yeah, times yeah, watching yeah. it. I don't know if it's because I knew more what was coming this time, but some of the dialogue in that is so funny. Like there's a lot of which the Coen Brothers always have in their films, but. Even, like, I think the film they did before this was True Grit, which I watched semi-recently. It's not funny at all. And, yeah, it, like, the, the, the writing in it is completely different. Like, there's, there's no space for comedy in True Grit, and it's more like a pace film. While this film is paced quicker, but there's a lot more room in the serious scenes for them to just, like, just add social commentary and just have, like, just hilarious scenes. Like, that, um, that dining scene where he's just kind of on the cusp of, like, He's tired of bouncing around and he's tired of being the nice guy. And even though these people are sticking their neck out for him, he's just sick of it. He's frustrated with the music. And the fact he's making no money from the music is amplified by the fact that he's asked to perform for free at this dinner where, you know, it, it really just takes the integrity out of the music for him. And he cares a lot about that, clearly, which is why he won't do the duo. He won't do the triplet. And, yeah, it's just hilarious. Like, those scenes, like, that scene will never get old. It'll always be funny. And it's really, it's really in those like tragically sad moments that it's just like comes back around to being funny because mm. it's just like the introspection, introspection on what's actually happening. It's just like this is outrageous, and and because of that, you can't do anything but laugh. Um, so can we? Can we? So obviously, the film has a, um, I, I suppose you would call a circular structure where we start at the we begin at the ending and we end at the beginning. Um, and obviously that leads into, I suppose, you know, how do we break out of that circle and what's the next mm. steps for Lou and Davis? Like, can we just, can we just run back through. So he, he finds, uh, you know, he, he's, he finds himself at a low point in his career, a point that he's really struggling, um, and sort of a, a couple of um, issues really come to their head. One, the um, the pregnancy of his friend um, slash um, lover, who is married to someone else, which forces him to take the money to pay for an abortion, and then that goes wrong, which leads him to go across a cross-United States journey, which then doesn't lead anywhere and ultimately puts him to back to the lowest point of signing up for the Merchant Navy, only to be thwarted um, due to um, 
the wonderful the wonderfulness of, of Union Jews. Um, <laughs> and then to, 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 to come to a, a very low point and then to wake up at the end of the film and, and, and that's where we are. Do we think that... And I suppose my question there, and for the people who've seen it um, twice, that maybe they have a bit more grasp of the narrative and the th- thematic of the film, but do we think where we leave Lewin Davis is a rejuvenated... Um, a rejuvenated man uh, going to continue on with music or is this just another blip along um, his descent into eventual impoverishment and uh, absence? It's, it's just the classic, it's the classic story of the hopeless musician. It's the hopeless musician that can never give it up, that can never... And in this case, it's even more tragic because he's obviously clearly talented but not willing to play the game. And I, I suspect his life would have just continued down this path where it would have been, you know, he's not a deadbeat in, in the sense that uh, he's not willing to work or whatever. He's someone that's tortured by his passion for, for music and for the art of it and can't give it up. So I would suspect that he will continue to, to work the odd jobs the rest of his life to give his head above, to keep his head above water and would never give up the passion of the music and I think if he did give up the passion of the music, his story would be drinking himself to death. Because I, mean, I think the music's the only thing that ever gave him any meaning. I think it's, um, it's interesting how you talk about how he's at this very low point and then like all these other things happen. Like, cause, because on the rewatch, it, it doesn't seem like that's the low point. It seems like he's... It seems like his whole life is a low point. Yeah, you can make the argument he's hit rock bottom, but the Coen brothers do this thing where they're like, actually, we're going to dig him a deeper hole. And then we're going to dig him a deeper hole. And then we're going to deep... deep Because I'd argue the starting point of the film... It's not even close to his his lowest point. The starting point of the film... His partner who he was more successful with has killed himself. Yeah. And now he's a solo act and the solo record's not selling. And then... Like, he slept with his friend's uh, girlfriend, who's also his friend. <laughs> She's pregnant. She doesn't know if it's his or the, or the boyfriend's. He has to pay for the abortion, so he goes and records a song he fucking hates. Instead of doing the royalties, <laughs> he gets the immediate money. Later finds out the royalties would have made him probably rich. Uh, goes to the abortionist, tries to pay for it with the money that he used. Turns out he didn't actually need that money because a, a previous abortion didn't actually go through. He's got credit with the abortionist. Um, and then he's got a kid in Akron. So, so at least like now he's finally got some money, but then it comes to a, a failure point. So he pay, uses all that money to pay his dues, which actually doesn't get him anything. So he's back to square one. Is this what I literally just said? Am I crazy? Yeah, no, but like it's like it's. it's I'm like, saying I'm saying isn't that his low point is where he's at the bar and he's abusing the musician and he's. But no, because he's. So it's saying saying that's not the low. That's point. That's not the low point because he's like, and we all know from the start of the movie that he's got an ask. He's got he's about to get the shit kicked out of him as well. Maybe no, that's all the way. So it's like yeah, it's about yeah, to get well, worse, yeah. and it's going to continue. No, worse. I, I don't know about the. Sh- I don't know if the, the getting his ass kicked is. I think that's a. I don't think. I think no, that's I think the a, reflecting point. That's what I'm saying. Is I think after that moment, so he clearly wakes up that day before. So okay, so you have to but put I think the narrative wa- back but, into. A but I think he wakes up with the idea that nothing's going to change. What part of the waking up scene? Gave you yeah. any indication that something was going to change? And that's the thing. No, no, I'm not he, saying he I'm wrote, not saying there is wrote, anything that's going to oh, change, okay. but I'm saying that the low point is definitely the night before he wakes up. Has yeah, to be. Yeah, but no, but like, so he goes back. He goes back to the. the I, I don't well, because that's the culmination of all those would, things. I would ask firstly why you're even choosing the low point, and I would ask secondly what what's the saying. significance of the low point. Because the low point preempts the ending, and the and and that suggests, and then we so we go back to so the ending, start to the beginning, and then we go through the rest of the film. But the ending's no more low than the start, is my point. 
And like it's yeah, like, I don't see the distinction between the ending and the start of the film in terms of how low his life is. And I guess what you're saying is that the point is that it's cyclical. That it's, it's cyclical. 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 Yeah. And, and then he's just going to... Yeah, he's the hopeless yeah. musician that can't give up the dream. Yeah. Even though he said in the scene... Even when he wants you know, It's like a slice of life. That, that's why I always thought about the film. It's like, this is like two weeks in his life, but his life has probably looked like this for years. For years. And like, yeah. even when he wants to quit, he literally can't. He can't go get the job on the boat. See how keen he, he was he, to sleep on that guy's couch? He just met him. Like, he's yeah, obviously been doing yeah, this yeah. for a while. Yeah. And like he, like, he knew he knew which beats to hit. Like, when to hit him, he was just like, I know how to sleep on the He's couch. asking the sister... Just for, met him. He's asking the sister for money. Yeah. But hold on. But he catches the... He leaves the house the second time, and he this time he catches the cat, and then... He goes on from there. So surely that implies that... And I think, I think we have to discuss the cat at some point because I, I haven't unpacked it totally, but I feel like the cat is a metaphor effectively for his dream and vision of, of being a musician. And it's a, in the last scene, as opposed to, to the first scene, he catches the cat before it goes outside and then he leaves with, a, with, a, with much more sense of, of freedom and, and uplift. And that's why I feel that they're... Is a, is a potential that it, the film is trying to suggest some sort of... Yeah, perhaps. Like, some sort of turning point has occurred. I always thought the cat as well was just meant to be um, kind of like a symbol of the complexity of human nature in that there seems to be a lot of things in his life that should be higher on his agenda that aren't, yet he does feel this connection to the cat and it seems the only thing that he feels deep guilt about is losing this, these people's pet that have been nice to him. So the cat represents, like, essentially just how com- complex human emotion and human feelings are that but I, that she's always like, hey, why do you care about the fucking cat? And he chases I, I the cat in the middle of the conversation about the abortion. I think that's exactly right, and that's why. But, but I think it's also a metaphor for his music because it's the same sense of it's, it's why don't you just get a normal job? Yeah. Why don't you, you know, do something where you have a house and you can go to it at the yeah, end I of the day? Yeah, I can see that. And he's saying, no, it's not rational for me to, to, for me to value this as much as I do, but I do. And then you go through this whole period where so he has this cat with him um, and then, you know, I think there's that, that scene about two thirds of the way through where he, where he hits the cat and he sort of turns his back on it and it's a question of, is he going to to give up the music and is he going to give up his life? And then he does, well, he elects to, to go join the merchant seaman. And then that is thwarted. And then lo and behold, the cat returns. I mean, obviously, narratively, it's a different cat, but it's still the same metaphor. And I feel like there's a, a, an element of renewed passion um, by the end of the film. Yeah, I can see that. Well, yeah. like the renewed passion doesn't equal any any version of success. He's still stuck in the same no, cycle. No, absolutely and then, not. And then you have that stark contrast with right after his set, you've just got like a young Bob Dylan who is like clearly about to blow up and become this massive thing, but it's not going to be Lloyd Davis, and he's going to continue to to live this tragedy of a life where where yeah. it, every decision he makes, no matter how well intentioned is the worst decision and it's going to have terrible consequences for him in the long term. And I think that's, that's evident in the fact that, you know, every single person believes that their pet is the best in the world, right? Like your cat or your dog is the best thing in the world. And regardless of whether it actually is, it's still the best thing in the world to you. And that's the beauty of it. 
Yeah, and also, but I also think the Coen brothers are trying to reflect that his music is really good. His music is really good. But the market, it won't make any money and it's talentless in, in the sense that it doesn't have any recording value. Um, which I think, which I think the, the thing, yeah, see the thing with the music, <laughs> I don't know, it's like <laughs> even the name of his album, Inside Lewin Davis, his music is introspective. It has more meaning, it has more emotion. Everything else sounds gimmicky on purpose. And the other music in the film is actually really great as well. Yeah, but for a complete well Yeah, but it's it's good for a completely different reason, it has a completely different commercial catchy. appeal. Yeah, it's catchy, it's more pop music. Um, I always just like even you know, that scene where he's like, Oh, you should get back with the with the duet and whatnot and, and mm-hmm. the he's obviously just he he realizes at that moment which I think does link up with the, the linear point that Connor was making about the cat, that that happens right afterwards where he chooses to leave the cat and hitchhike and his musical dream is, is over after that, essentially, yeah. um, in terms of the linear of the story. Yeah. With, with the music, it's... Um, like, he has, that, he has that discussion with Gene uh, uh, in, the, in the cafe where he's kind of calling her out for, for selling out and, like, doing the things to get the money to get the house because that's what she wants. It's not about the music. He, like, has this idea about the music being... He's actually Jethro. Yeah, it's Jethro in, <laughs> in the sense that, like, it's the purest thing, it's the most important thing, and it needs to reflect how he's feeling and how he's living. And it's just the, 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 the fact of the matter is, is how he's feeling and how he's living is so miserable because it's been miserable since his partner died and there's nothing else he knows. And because of that, it's just not commercial in the sense, like, in the sense that nobody wants to put to turn on the radio and, and, and listen to the miserable song because it's going to make them feel miserable. They want to listen to the pop song. Make them yeah. Better. yeah. So that's why, that's why all the recording people... That's like, why his music will, no also, will always be limited to that club. Yeah. Because that's the vibe of that club. Absolutely. People sit there and drink and smoke cigarettes and listen to those sad songs. But even in the club where the folk music is a world that he feels like he understands, everyone starts singing the yeah. other song. That he he loses like, What the fuck is this? <laughs> he's like, you guys are singing this song? Like He's still just... Quite, like, he's not quite on the same wavelength even in those circles and it's just like his music is so good and he knows it but it's it's slightly left left center of field of where it needs to be for him to be any sort of success could you about John Goodman oh in oh, so, sorry before we talk about John Goodman could we just just because I want to speak on the, on the topic of that, the, yeah, that bar and sort of thing briefly and that and that's the kind of thing that why that era of time I think is just so rich for incredibly good narrative story is that something like that you just you just never really have to do anymore where like back you know it's 1960 you if you want to if you enjoy music you have to go down to the pub every single night and listen to it like it's not just readily available you can't just listen to it on Spotify or whatever it is and it's that it's that it's that clash of people because they're forced to go to a place, they're forced to leave their house and interact in society that makes it just such a rich, rich tapestry for narrative to 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 occur on, and that's why that that sort of nineteen forties to nineteen sixties time is just perfect because we have you know the wealth and and everything and the technology of that that we sort of reflect today, but you've also got that ability of people just had to get out of the house and interact with each other and. You could make a living by playing down at the, you know, or you could make a part of a living by playing down at the pub, um, and and that's 
that's a noble cause to pursue. Well, now if you go and watch live music, you either know someone that's playing in one of the bands or you're into live music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, no one just goes down now to the pub or to the Rosemount or whatever to watch live bands unless they're into live music. Whilst what you're saying is correct, that, like, back then, if you wanted to listen to music, you had to go listen to music. Yeah. Yeah, which is correct. And now those people that are playing the live music also have day jobs. It's not like they can just like, pursue the music and try and, like, actively no. just do that. Yeah. No. And I mean, just even like, they captured a little bit at some of, like, you know, if you go to Duke Ellington Jazz Club or whatever, but like that idea of just like sitting at a table in silence and listening to music of that nature is like super rare these days. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. even when you go and watch live music, like it's generally rock music, um, it's rarely acoustic. And if it is acoustic, it's like some guy with a guitar in a beer garden on a Sunday. It's not real, like... I'm more talking about where, like, he's it's hit, not... He's hitting ballads. He's yeah, like, and it's, yeah. like, background filler music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm more talking about, like, when you go and to a club, you sit at a table, you're at a drink, and you watch the performance. How rare is that these days? And that's yeah. the thing I feel like, it, like folk music's so perfect for it is because, like, that genre, it, it's, like, it feels mostly dead at this point. It's, like, it's not... Like, how many people are listening to folk music in the sense that they want this music that's melancholic and reflective and, and feels kind of, like, dated in that yeah, I think sense. probably the only folk... The only band that would be classified as folk that I would listen to is Fleet Foxes. Mm. And, like, they're, like, probably the biggest folk band in the world. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know any other... Like, what folk bands do I know? Yeah. I don't even know. But people that are into music, Jethro probably listens to folk music. I don't know. But, like... I've got a friend not, who does folk music. Yeah, it's not a genre that I know much about, to be honest with you. Not outside of this era, anyway. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah, Modern like, folk music. With the, with the John Goodwin thing, we can talk about, like, all of the actors that are... Like, reasonably big, if not massive, mm. coming in for, like, 15, 20 minutes at a time, having their piece and then dipping out of the movie. That's all they really did for the most part. Yeah, well, John Goodman's just a total heat check from the first, from the first line that oh. he says to the end. He's so funny. It's just a great performance. But then, like, on that watch, which I, I think I was just, like, kind of blown away with him in the other times I've watched it. In that one, I was like, the significance of him just, like, passing out at the end and, like, mm. having that... He's, like, frothing at the mouth... And then he's out after that. And I guess that's kind of a catalyst for him having to hitchhike eventually. But not really, because that guy could have got arrested anyway for pulling over and sleeping. So I'm like, why do they make his character just, like, borderline die? And then the guy be like, oh, no, he's fine. Throw him in the car. Like, I don't know. I just wanted to know more. I was like... Yeah, oh, right. because he, like, sort of abandons it right near, like... Mm. But, and, yeah, and that's, that's sort of evident in... If we go back to my theory of the cat being evident of his music, is that he's... Not, I mean, he does abandon the cat at that moment, but in the past, he hasn't abandoned the cat, and yet he's willing to abandon uh, an unhealthy person. Yeah, right. It's probably in need. But but in that moment, he doesn't even consider John Goodman. He considers the cat for the entire period. That's right. And then closes the door. John Goodman's... Yeah, because John Goodman's been pissing him off for 10 hours in the car. He doesn't care about the human in in, in the car. Whatsoever, yeah. he's just like this cat, which goes to your point about it being the um, metaphor for the music. He's like all he cares about is the cat and makes the decision about yeah. purely the cat. Well, it hit John Goodman fuck himself. on um, on John Goodman's point, um, the scene where he kind of just like cracks the shits with him and's like, you know, if you stuck that stick up your ass, would there still be some stick yeah, his response. Well, him in general, in like a few of those scenes, in the dinner scene, um, you know, just his approach to Justin Timberlake's character in general, I get a lot of Holden Caulfield. Catcher in the Rye vibes from his character. Like, he really just genuinely thinks everyone's a phony. Yeah. He genuinely, like, is just, like, not... He's not entertaining anyone for the sake of entertaining anyone. 
it's like the person that work that asks how your weekend is every Monday. Like, he just doesn't have time for it. Yeah. And I love that part of his character because I remember just being like, I, mean, I think I was probably like 15 or 16 the first time I read Catcher in the Rye, which was like around the same age as the character in it. And just relating so much with the whole, like, what are all these pleasantries that people are just constantly exchanging? <laughs> yeah. And his character definitely has that. Where it's, Obviously, he's a little bit more tolerant, but it's like, he's in this car. The rest of the car ride is going to be so awkward if his interaction doesn't go well. And he's still willing to cut him off in the middle of the sentence. Just because he's pissed him off and just, like, make some hell rude derogatory comment. Like, there's just so many parts in that. Like, obviously, his overall characters is much sadder. But there's so many elements of his character that I just relate to where I'm just like, yeah, just shut the fuck up. Like, but then John Goodman's response, he's like, you'll wake, you'll wake up in a couple <laughs> yeah. months and be like, why is my life so, so shitty? Fun. He's just like... Yeah. And we're, the, already, we're already fucking there. And the Coen brothers just do that throughout the whole film. Like, every time there's, there's ever a drop of hope, it's just like... It's, yeah. it's little shit. It's like the writing on the bathroom wall. Mm. Um, I can't remember what it said. What, uh, did it say? what are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. It's just, what are you doing? And then, yeah, John Goodman's uh, comment him. But it's just like, it's everything. It's just like the scene where he just sits there and takes it from the, the girl that he slept with and she just calls him a fucking idiot yeah. and a piece of he's shit. trying and... to do the good thing. <laughs> yeah, and, and then he goes on and berates him. And he's like, yeah, we'll talk about it when you're not angry. Like, he, he's just, he's copying shit left, right and centre and it has jaded him. But, like, he's just, like, on the face of it, he's like, I'll do the right thing. Of course I'll pay for the abortion. She ducks away, asks the guy that he's been cuckolding to pay for it. And he's just like, yeah, sure, just let me talk to her. He's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> just like, so every decision, he's trying to do the best thing, but the decision-making is just terrible, and it leads to the worst outcome for him. Peak oh, piece of not- shit to ask Justin Timberlake's character oh, yeah. for the money. Oh, like, oh my God. God. I forgot about that scene. That's awful, like, mate. Like, let it go. Yeah. I think so it's, it's I think just it's like a laugh one. It's totally fine. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, mm. I think it's a sign of desperation. It's a sign of desperation. Oh, yeah, yeah of course. Definitely. Of course, but yeah. still, like... Yeah, it's weird. You don't think that he's not a good person after that scene. You're just like, he's back against the wall. Yeah. And this is a situation that doesn't get resolved. She's having a baby. Yeah. But, like, when you, when you pan out, you're a bit like, he's asking the guy whose girlfriend he fucked yeah. for the abortion for the girlfriend. But I feel less bad at the end of the movie where it turns out that she's just fucking everyone. Yeah, exactly. And Ooh. doing it for gigs too. Is it implied that she yeah. fucks him to get him a gig? Yeah, yeah something like that. Yeah, but okay. then like he's furious because he's just like, so I just paid for this abortion and they don't have any fucking money and it's not necessarily my responsibility to pay for the, for the abortion. Like, yeah. what the fuck is that? So he just like, he's, and he's had a couple of drinks. Yeah, I wonder, like, fuck this place. I wonder what year it shifted to 50-50. Can we just go back to... Can we just go back to... It's 50-50. Sorry, God. Can we just go back to... No, no, no. This one's on the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Doctor. He's like, you're doing this pro bono. Yeah, pro bono. He he says about five times, why is this one on the house? Why is this one on the house? Could you imagine if a doctor said that shit? What are you talking about? You're such a nice guy. This This one's on Medicare, mate. And like that, that whole thing is such a like, oh my god! But then it leads into yeah, like what's coming? Like him, him driving past Akron, looking at it, being like, he's gonna go check on this girl. He's gonna do the right thing. Just keeps going. Just does not pull into that place. Just does not check on the kid. And he just goes back to his piece of shit life. Like you know, like. I mean, how funny is just how funny is just the um, the uptightness of his sister? Like you know, ni- like we think just like nineteen, like obviously twenty twenty to nineteen sixty is a long time ago. But, um, you know, just that she would be so upset about him literally saying, like, shit or dickhead or, you know, whatever. 
And yeah, it's probably just like a good Catholic gal or something. He's just there like, fuck. And, and she's like, don't do that it's in front of my side. <laughs> Get out. Makes the like, mate, you just threw out his fucking license. Like, yeah. But he told her to. It was his decision. Yeah, he's a dickhead. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, like, we, we were just gone. John Goodman, sorry. Um, of the other, I guess, supporting characters... Are there any that really stood out to you that were like... Well, I mean, Justin Timberlake plays his role great. Quite right. And, I mean, it's... He does those type of characters really well. I feel like um, he plays kind of a similar, like, to himself, but uh, he's obviously a little bit more ambitious in Social Network. But, I mean, like, he's, he's acting... You don't get to like the characters. No. They're, they're not yeah. bad people. Like, like, yeah. But, like, I feel like... I feel like he, uh, what he does in films, he does really well. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've never, like he was, he's within himself. Like yeah. He doesn't, absolutely. He doesn't overreach. And like, no, and like I think no. he recognizes that. Like I'm always going to be seen as Justin Timberlake, so I can't do too much. But I'm just going to yeah. do like this little, this little. Yeah, way. I mean, the casting of the guy that runs the club is really well, is really good as well. Like I said, Dan said he's been in a bunch of stuff, and I'm sure I've seen him in other movies. But like his character is very similar in The Sopranos. He's like this little douchey like, guy that gets stuck into people and causes conflicts a lot and has a big mouth and, like, that's the kind of roles that he gets cast in. He did that well in that film too. He's, like, this obnoxious, like, obviously has no real interest in the music. He's just worried about the bottom line, which would probably be Dan's capitalist take. Um, and, and, you know, he's, yeah, by, by no means a good person but seems to like Lewin and give Lewin a shot. Um, but, yeah, I, th- I thought the casting... Obviously, we've got, a, we've got, an it's early, good in general. got an early Adam Driver. I assume it's one of his, like... Yeah, so it's, the film's 2013, right? 14. 2014. So I think it's before Star Wars, but he's, like, around? Like, that's that's the whole thing? It's definitely before Star Wars, but yeah. Yeah, Adam Driver's good in it. Um, yeah, he's... That he's scene's hilarious, yeah. where he's doing the, the, side, the sound effects and whatnot. Because, um, like, before... That's one of my favourite scenes they're, in the when film. They're, when they're practising, you're like, what on earth is he doing? And then <laughs> yeah. when you see how it actually mends, mends into the song, you're like, this is... Yeah, I love that scene, man. It's yeah. so funny. It's so good. And just, like, the the uh, the executive of the record studio, like, watching how intently, yeah, like, like... Like, blank face, kind <laughs> yeah. of neutral, and just, bo- just bobbing to it, though. Yeah, like, just allowing it. Yeah, absolutely. What was the budget for that film out of interest, then? So I don't feel like you would have needed a lot to make that film. It'd have to be like eleven million. Yeah, okay. I think then it, it, it only released for like thirty-three. That's what yeah. we're saying. Like it didn't do that well. Like it obviously. It is an indie film, but I don't think it has mass appeal. No. It's like like compare that to True Grit, which again, like is the film they made before this. Yeah. It's way more commercial appeal. Do you know what I mean? Like, just the story. Like, how do you put that film there in a trailer? Unless you're unless you're one of those people that's like. You know, like what we're like with Scorsese or whatever. You're just like, I'm going to watch every single film that comes out by them. But like, I don't think Coen Brothers. I don't think they're getting people that aren't Coen Brothers films to watch that film. Are Coen Brothers not at the level where like it's like, oh, it's a Coen Brothers movie. I'll probably go watch that. Or is that like if you're a Coen Brothers or fan, is that I think post, it is. Um, no Country for Old Men, but it's yeah, like suddenly now. I think mean, definitely like, like the No Country for Old Men is a watershed yeah. moment for the Coen Brothers. Yeah, because that film was so good and so commercially successful that it took them to a level previously unknown. And I mean, before that, they had a lot of... Big Lebowski. They had some indie, like, hits, right? Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Big Lebowski, M- Miller's, Fargo, Miller's Crossing. Miller's Crossing. Yeah, Miller's Crossing. They're yeah. very good. Didn't we talk about it on the podcast? Miller's Crossing was their first one that actually made money, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think so. Um, but, but 
No Country for Old Men was, was, a, was a watershed moment, absolutely. Um, and I think now... But interestingly, have they made an actual Coen Brothers film since No Country? Yeah. They're all Coen Brothers films except for Macbeth. Mm, Macbeth was, was the first one. I thought one. they hadn't done one for a while. What's no, the, what was the last one they did? Buster of Ballad Scrubs. Yeah, oh, that was that a Coen the Brothers Netflix one. one? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, there's another one after that as well. I thought they did a couple that were individual. Go look at it, Sammy. There yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, the first one that was only one of them was Macbeth. 2018 was The Ballad of Buster Shrugs. Yeah. Before that was Hail Caesar, Inside Bill Davis, True Grit, Serious Man. Yeah, Hail Caesar. No, I'm, no, see, like, No Country for Old Men was 2017, though. So that was, like, well before this. Inside Bill Davis was 2013, I was going to say. Yeah, it was 2013, I thought it was. So. That's what I'm saying. So 2017, No Country for Old Men, then they got Ballad of Buster Shrugs, but they haven't had any other. Coen Brothers Well they've only made one big film Yeah yeah, yeah. That's what I'm It's a weird point <laughs> No but I, no, I think there's this I think there's this thing At the moment Like they're not going to do Films together Isn't that what it is Like I think they're done I don't know I haven't heard that Is that a thing I sort of had that, that Well uh, Lorenzo that, that sort of taste Lorenzo was telling me The one that made Macbeth Which is the one That's married to Francis McDormand Is apparently The, the brains of the operation Anyway Ethan Connor Yeah Whatever, Whichever one it was I think, was. I think it was Joel I thought yeah, whatever one's married to Francis McDormand. Just slap me in the face, then. I will slap yeah. you in the face. Yeah. Yeah. Loren- yeah, Lorenzo said that he's apparently, like, the one that's, you know, the creative force behind a lot of the stuff. Really? Apparently. Like the Saturday. Which, I mean, Macbeth was good. Macbeth is really good. Yeah. I still haven't seen it. Fuck. I'm so, yeah. Really Mate, so Den- Denzel might win uh, Best Actor. No, probably not. But he might. So do we want to talk about the politics of... Unionisation? Or are we, we going to go there? <laughs> yeah, maybe we can cover that. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to kick this off with it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a lot of similar points that are made on, uh, on the waterfront. On the waterfront. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, see our thoughts there. Please <laughs> <laughs> refer to. <laughs> it is funny, though, that, um, you know, when you give up on your musical dreams and, you know, your true goal in society, but, you know... Capitalism just allows you not to follow your dream. You have to go get a union job. Yeah, that is funny to me that they, that's the contrast in the film that they chose. It's like he doesn't go get a job at Walmart. Like it's like go get a union job. What's well, going from like one form of indentured servitude to another? Like one is indentured to the music, and then two is is indentured to his socialist overlords. <laughs> Um, what were your boys' thoughts on the scene with the dad, where he goes to visit, and um, oh, yeah. the dad's in like, just yaks at the end. Yeah, got dementia, and he's just like plays this song. It clearly has an effect on the dad, and it just like. Fine. Did it clearly have an effect on that? That's what I, I, I was like. Did you I was not, like, is this guy just completely fucking zoned? That's what I was thinking. See, I was thinking, is this having? Is this meant to have an effect on the audience? And the dad doesn't really know what's going on. That's what I that was what I was thinking when I was watching it, right. um, which is obviously like the result of him at the end just being sick in that he's just like, there's nothing going on there. Did you, did you say, so you thought he was sick? I thought he shat himself. I thought he like spewed or shat. He or whatever, did shat himself. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he says when he comes home. Yeah. But I th- and I think the point is, it's like, that's like, you know, he goes... Lewin goes and he plays, you know, a song from the heart and a song from, um, you his know, childhood, yeah. yeah, from his childhood, and even that, through no fault of his dad, 
but even that doesn't ring true sort of thing. Doesn't have the effect he wants. Doesn't have the effect that he wants, right? Because his dad can't even comprehend it. He's that far gone. And I suppose that's... that's, And that's sort of... That's representative of the fact that Lewin's sort of, you know, he's almost over the precipice of... He's almost gone too far into this process. He's literally... He's having to find somewhere to sleep every single fucking night, you know? Um, He's almost let this go on too long. To the point where it's not just the noble, you know, artist. It's there's a real problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. He doesn't have a house, and he's so tired. Like, and that's, and I think that that scene is really beautiful. Um, in the question of like, how would this happen? Like, you know, what's the future for Lewis Davis? Where he says like, I'm just so tired, mm-hmm. and I thought I just needed a good night's sleep. Mm-hmm. But it's not just a good night's sleep. It's the fact that. I'm living this transient existence where I'm never going to get a good night's sleep because I don't have anywhere to sleep. That's like the Tumblr quote from the film. So that's like, if you search inside Lewin Davis on any social media, that's like the quote that comes up yeah. because that's like the one that everyone relates to. Where it's so like, tired, right? oh, I just thought I needed a good sleep, but like really it was just the overwhelming existence of my life. Yeah. But like, it is, like you're yeah. right. It's like, it's one of the most powerful points of the whole film in that, you know, obviously he's physically tired from the non-stop journeying that, I mean, that whole Chicago ordeal, like, you're tired just watching it, like, and it, and it, and it, and it comes back immediately and everything's the exact same. Yeah, nothing's, he, he just to, makes that comment about, has, I, I like, felt like I've been gone a long time, yeah, it's been like two yeah, days, yeah, yeah, yeah. she's still like, what the fuck's wrong with you, my abortions on Saturday? Yeah, when he's just like, how like, was it? Don't you have like, a fucking diary? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when he's like, oh yeah, how was it? You're like, that's right, she would have had it by now. And then she's just like, the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, like it's been nine months or something. Jesus Christ, it's been 24 hours. He's just like, I don't know what I've been through. But yeah, it's definitely one of the best points in the film because it, you know, it's, it's fantastic writing in that um, the language in a literal sense to someone that, you know, English wasn't their first language would think of it very differently as we would in, in the sense that, yeah, the comment that he's making about being tired is so much deeper than the journey that he's been through. See, like, and with the, with the dad particularly, I thought that there was like a lot, like, probably not overtly, but like at least undertones of, of the fact that like he's looking into the essentially his future if he gives up this music dream if he goes and accepts the union job and does the fisherman thing for how many years and accepts you know just living as he as he phrases it he just sees himself and he comes back and says to his sister he's like yeah like looking in the future he's just like if I don't do the music thing I'm essentially already this and like everything from here to then is nothing to me so like sure, I'll accept this. And that's like part of like why it's just like so brutal when he's just like, yeah, we'll go fish. This is is it, I'm done. It was interesting, like I remember um, before I started the grad job um, when I was hanging out with Jethro a lot, there was, Jethro and I went to this... (laughs) And they never will be that. Um, One wouldn't allow it. Um, We, yeah, Jethro and I went to this gig and Jethro had shown me the record before we went and saw them live. And I remember after the gig saying to Jethro, like, oh, th- those guys sounded completely different live to how they sounded on the record. And that was, like, the first time Jethro explained to me about how, like, like he can make his song sound like that on the record as well, like, as long as you know how to produce the music. Yeah. And, like, he had kind of taught himself how to do a lot of that stuff 
and had like showed me it that night. Like, I remember we went back to his and he'd like showed me like what the sound sounds like, what this what the song sounds like when you just record it, and then what the sound uh, what the song sounds like when he's when you know done everything else to it. Yeah, and it, it was crazy. It's like it is completely different, and you know there is that thing of like you know, the people that, that play on Triple J, that's why when you listen to Triple J, all the music sounds the same because it is being produced exactly the same in every single instance. And if you hear those bands live, they do sound differently. And it's why um, it was so interesting with the, you know, with them recording that song and, and, and there was the humour of Adam Driver like doing those sound effects. But if it was if it was the modern day, you'd record all of those things completely independent. Yeah. They'd be in different rooms. Yeah. Together, yeah. Whereas at the time, the only way they could record it was you have the whole fucking band sitting in there in the studio, and they've got it, the and they've got to run it through. Um, well, the Beatles were the first one to do that. The Beatles were the first one to be like, we're going to have like twenty tape recordings running, and we're going to be recording twenty different sounds, and we're going to mix it together. Yeah. But so it's like um, Penny Lane, and. Um, I can't remember the other song is on that Magical Mystery album. That's the, that first, that's you, the first time they did it. Is that the one if you like play it backwards? It tells you to like join the Navy? Or? <laughs> no. It tells you to get your ticket and join. Go, go, go. Yeah, it tells you to pay your dues. <laughs> he's, probably, yeah. he's, he's probably like, why do I have these dues? Like, what is this for? <laughs> That was the thing that was bothering me the whole movie. I was like, he didn't even he didn't even check what the Jews are for. Like, what, what is mean, it like interest? What like, what, do you mean, what are the Jews for? It's to pay for whatever fucking scumbag who doesn't have a job to, to fucking have a job. Who you know he just sits there and be like, oh yeah, I'm the union representative. So if you all give me some of your salary, then I'll get you the same rights that you could get yourself. That's the fundamental flaw of unionism. <laughs> Yeah, they all talk like that too. Yeah, they do. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone got anything else? Or do you want to do ratings? Um, no, we can do, we can do ratings. I would like to know uh, your favourite songs from the. Because obviously, it's like, you know, there's a lot of music throughout. Do you have, a, have any particular songs that stick in your head? I was kind of the first one. First one's great, isn't it? About going up to the mountain. With the gun and the knife in your hand and gonna be found hung. Yeah, the hang me, hang me. Hang me is insane. That's that's the best one, in my opinion. And Um, then the one he. But I do love the scene where they record with Justin Timberlake in the studio. That scene's just amazing. And the other one that he plays right at the end, where he plays one of the ones that was one of his duo, which I think is yeah, yeah. That was also a good song. What do we think of of the music aspect and like? So interestingly. If we're going to sort of contextualise the pod, uh, Euphoria season finale of season two just came out this didn't, week, didn't and there's a uh, there's a like basically a three and a half minutes um, acoustic song that is played in the middle of there, and it's just so funny. Like the modern, like all the Twitter fucking fans are like, why'd you have three minutes of that song in there? You could have like you could have wrapped up this B character's like storyline, and. I really enjoyed it and I, I think I suppose the question to you guys is obviously the film's about music and, and you know you have to have it in the, have to have it in there but you know there's about five or six like full songs yeah. effectively like throughout that film and how do we think that goes as, like a viewing Well I think the music's the most important part of the film in a lot of ways and I did notice that every time a song started Dan started looking at his phone Yeah I agree um, which I think you know that's, I didn't notice that, but that makes sense. In that's, my yeah, that's really the only comment that I have on, on what you just brought up in that, to me, the music is one of the most significant parts of the whole film. 
And, you know, in today's attention span of me, 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 gimme, 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 um, it, it, it seems fitting that a lot of people would look at their phone during that. So, I, I bet you Dan doesn't even read the poems in Lord of the Rings. I think he just skips right oh, over them. Disgusting. <laughs> um, so I, I, I don't find, think Dan's read Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I agree. Uh, I've I found that, like, in, in, in every song, it's really in the second verse where it's like it's actually like telling your ones, hey, shut the fuck up and listen to what's actually being sung right now. Yeah, exactly. This is the, the point of the song. In the you kind of, kind of, kind of, right now. Regardless of what the music is making you feel, listen to the lyrics and this is what we're yeah. saying. And a lot of the songs had those like upbeat kind of like, it'll be all right while the lyrics are just kind of like, you kind of, kind of, miserable. You're right, it kind of does like trick you into it. Like you sort of, you start listening to it and you're like, okay, it's song. This is where it's going to take forever. It's song. And then it kind of goes into, no, hold on, I need to actually pay attention yeah, to this yeah. part. Uh, you know, maybe it's actually me. You know, it's, it's just, this has been going on for so long that there must be something important to it. And they do definitely bring in the sort of... And that, and that first song really doesn't quite wear where it's like, it starts on just like the microphone and it goes to the microphone in his mouth and the microphone in his mouth and the guitar and the microphone mouth and guitar cuts to like the audience but only like two people and you can't really see their faces just the cigarettes and then cuts back to him and then kind of gets wider in the audience and like still silhouetted faces with a lot of people and they're all like very drawn very focused in it gets like wider and wider and wider so you can tell it's like this very personal song very like a lot of meaning to him as a character but it also has this effect on these fans and then afterwards once the music's done there's no there's no there's like some mild recognition for how good it is, but there's, there's not the recognition it deserves as how good of a song it is. And that like kicks off the movie and it's just like he's like un, unrecognised and unrespected artist. Just I also think the way those uh, songs are filmed, um, the way the Coen brothers have shot it is like you're a member of the audience. Mm. Um, and that aspect of the filming tells you to shut the fuck up and pay attention because you're actually in the audience. Um, and I think that's just a really you know, beautiful way to shoot those scenes and you know, gives them meaning in a lot of ways. Did you guys like the 2013 Best Pictures done in March 2014? Yes? No? Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. So uh, nominees, uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Oh yeah, this year. Philippe yeah, but Wolf of Wall Street was fucking Nebraska, robbed. Her, Gravity, Dallas Buyers Club, Club, Captain Phyllis, American Hustle, and the winner was 12 Years a Slave. And and uh, Dallas Buyers Club beat Wolf of Wall Street in every other category, best actor, best supporting actor. Yeah, yeah. Who was? And I mean, literally, who has ever talked about Dallas Buyers Club? Whilst Wolf of Wall Street is still, I feel like, one of the most important films. I remember really liking Dallas Buyers Club, but yeah, I've never seen it. I actually got one of those letters for downloading it. Fuck Dallas Buyers Club. (laughs) Yeah, I I, um I saw Dallas Buyers Club in the cinema, just like I saw Wolf of Wall Street in the cinema. But I remember Wolf of Wall Street, I've never been so excited. I've read the book, I'd never been more excited to see a movie, and I just, I'll never forget going to the cinema and seeing it. I yeah. Just loving every single second of it. I remember, man, the book's so good. Yeah, the book's awesome. Um, Alright, let's give ratings. Let's do ratings. I'll start. Um, for all the reasons that I've already said, like I said, I find it really hard to find any faults in that. It's got great performances, it's a fantastic script, it's beautifully shot, great direction. Um, my favourite Coen Brothers film that I've seen, I, it's a 9.5 out of 10 for me. Thanks, sir. Um, sometimes when I go, sometimes when I have, I've noticed that when I go through a pod, sometimes I go through a bit of a journey and sometimes what I say at the start of the film 
um, doesn't always necessarily line up with me because our discussion sort of enlightens me and, and, and I, I find it, appreciate things that I, that I didn't before. Which is um, why I like we do it us doing the discussion. Exactly. And, uh, but I can say that, I can say categorically that's not the case with this film. I, I liked it. I loved it from, um, from the moment I saw it and how I started the film and everything we've just discussed has just built into that fact and I thought it was an excellent film. Uh, I'm going to give it a 9. 9 out of 10. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, like, the reason I picked it, the reason, like, why I wanted to do this movie is because when, when people ask me, like, you know, top three, top five movies, it's always... It, it, and it, it is my top three, if not my top five... Uh, top, sorry, top five, if not my top three, movie, like, favourite movies of all time. So it's, like, anytime someone's asking me, like, what movies do you like? This is always on the forefront of my mind. Um... Yeah, to me, it's it's a it's a ten out of ten every time I watch it. It's it's you know there's there's always more that I didn't see, and everything I did see the time before gets has more depth and it is more interesting. And it's yeah, every single time it's it's phenomenal. And I I even sometimes go back and like listen to just the songs on YouTube just because like they have such an impact in the context of the movie. I just I think it's fantastic. So Colin, the the Coen's brothers best movie. I just got one question then. Um, is this couch for eight <laughs> Mate, I don't know if you've had a, enough white claws to crash it. <laughs> but yeah. It's a floor for eight <laughs> So we're going back to, who, back to yours, Stephanie, next time?